Well, if, you, uh, if you'll take your Bible, we'll turn over to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and we will continue in the Sermon on the Mount. I tell you, as you, uh, as you go through this, it is, uh, it is powerfully convicting because we're, we're, you know, we're, as we would in anything we're studying in the Bible, we're looking at more than just information. Uh, this is the Word of the Lord, and uh, it's, it's good for reproof, cor- for correction, conviction. It's good for all of these things that, that the man and woman of God may be equipped. And so um, what, what Jesus is speaking here is not just, not just interesting information. It's designed to transform our lives. And so we are up to verse 13. What we're going to do is we're going to take verses 13 through 16 tonight. Verses 13 through 16. Now, next Wednesday night, just so you'll know the, the plan, next Wednesday night will be the first Wednesday night of June, which will be our prayer meeting. And so we will gather specifically for prayer a week from tonight. Then the following week after that will be Vacation Bible School Week, and so we'll not be meeting in the way that we typically meet. After Vacation Bible School, the following Wednesday, we'll come back to our study, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, Jesus has Come and according to the scripture, the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus has come. The kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus. Yet, the power and the influence of the kingdom of God are visible to the world in the followers of Jesus. So the kingdom of God comes in the person of Jesus, but the kingdom's power and influence is seen and it's visible in the followers of Jesus. The world sees the kingdom of God as a threat to its own ways. Therefore, it seeks not only to silence, but in many cases, destroy this visible witness. And so here's the question. You're going to I think it's in your notes, you're going to see it on the overhead. And this is a question we're going to be kind of working through this evening. Uh, if this is the response of the world, can you give me that slide there, Josh? Oh, there we go. If this is the response of the world to the kingdom of God, how are those who belong to the kingdom to live in the world? So what, what, is, what is the response of the world to the kingdom of God? To silence it, to destroy it if possible, because it, it's, it's anathema to everything the world stands for. And so... If this is the response of the world to the kingdom of God, which is visible through the followers of Jesus, how are those followers of Jesus who belong to the kingdom 
to live in the world? Uh, Answering this question is going to be the focus of our study this evening because this is really what Jesus is talking about. Because last week, you'll remember in verses 10, 11, and 12, uh, living this way, or let's say it this way, living, living out the Beatitudes, or another way of saying it is uh, walking in step with Jesus, living for Jesus. Uh, living in this way will result in one of two things. One, we will be blessed by God, but we will also be persecuted by the world. That's what verses 10, 11, and 12 have stated. The Beatitudes, which were in verses 3 through 12, describe the essential character of the disciples of Jesus, which now are flowing right into metaphors, salt and light, which indicate the kind of influence the disciples of Jesus will have for good in the world. These metaphors, salt and light, which we're going to tear into in a moment, tell us how those who live out the Beatitudes must relate to the world. So if we're going to live for Jesus, we're going to live, you know, out, live out the Beatitudes, we're going to do this, there's a certain way. We're, in other words, we're going to, be, going to be persecuted, not going to be welcome, not going to be loved. Uh, there, there's, a certain, there's a certain way that Jesus says that we will do this. And this will be the church's mission in a fallen world. The church's mission in a fallen world is to be salt and light. And if you and I are living at all a Christian life, you will be salt, light, and persecuted. If you are living in any way a Christian life, you will be salt, light, and you will be persecuted. If you have this relationship with God that is described in the Beatitudes, you can go back and look at those, then this is the relationship that you will have with the world. You will be salt, light, and persecuted. Now, uh, this is a hostile world to true believers. As we said last week, the world loves good people, but it hates righteous people. We won't go back over that, but this is a hostile, hard world in which righteousness is hated. Don't you often wonder... uh, often wonder how a Christian can make any difference at all. Don't you wonder that? I mean, you, you look at the world as it is. Uh, they got hard and hostile it is. And we, sometimes we think, it, well, if, if we'll just do it this way, or if we'll, if we'll just try to be nicer, if we'll just try to do this, then they'll like us. And we, we can somehow make some difference. Uh, and, and sometimes we'll even get cynical and think, good grief, there's nothing. Many, 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 many generations before us, and even some in our generation now, have decided to pull away from the culture. We'll, we'll just we'll pull away from the culture. We'll do our churchy thing, and all the world, you know, they can go their way and do their thing, and, and we'll just kind of separate. But we find here that Jesus is calling us to involvement, engagement in the culture in a certain way as salt and light. See, Jesus, and this is, this is really neat, I think. Jesus is not at all skeptical when it comes to the mission of the church. Jesus doesn't stop here in these passages and go, man, it's going to be hard. I don't know. I don't know if you're all going to be able to do any good at all in this hostile world. They hate you. They hate righteousness. I don't know if you're really going to be successful at all. No, Jesus is not skeptical at all. He says, you are. You are salt 
and light. And so he will describe here in our passages just how this is possible. So here's some things that we need to to recognize right away in verses 13 through 16. And uh, we'll see how these connect with the previous verses. First, it will be impossible to follow the norms of the kingdom in a purely private way. The norms of the kingdom being the Beatitudes. Okay, It will be impossible to follow these in a purely private way. What I mean by that is, Today, you know, you'll run into people who often think, you know, I'm a Christian, but I kind of live my Christian life in a private way. Uh, I don't really feel the need to tell anybody. I don't feel the need to evangelize anybody. No, nobody ever actually needs to even know. You know, I can kind of be a, a secret, undercover Christian. I don't really have to worship with God's people. Uh, I, I can have me and, you know, me and Jesus our own thing going, that sort of thing. Um, But what we see right away is the righteousness of life that you live is intended to draw attention. Jesus is making, if if you'll see this, if you'll read this, you'll see this, it'll emerge. Jesus is not calling us to some privatized Christian life. He's calling us to, to live out the norms of the kingdom in a public way, in such a way that it draws attention. Not in a bad way, but in a good way. Notice, he, he says in, in verse 13, you, okay? Verse 14, you, you. Christ's disciples. He's, he's, he's talking to his disciples, the people of God. There's a distinction here between God's people and the world. That's something else you need to see. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he's talking about the world. He's making the distinction between the two. And this is an important distinction to make when we live in a world in which all mankind is often re- referred to as the people of God. You've noticed that, right? I mean, I hate to keep using Oprah. She's not the only one who does this. But uh, the, you know, this, this idea that we're all, we're all the children of God. We're all the people of God. And notice Jesus here makes a clear distinction. He says, you, you are the salt and light of the world. So he's making a distinction between the people of God and the world. And we need, we need to really recognize that and reestablish that again. So let's do this. Let's take both of these metaphors a few minutes at a time. Let's take salt first because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a metaphor. And it's an interesting metaphor um, to help us to see how we're supposed, how our Christian people who are living out the norms of the kingdom, how are we to influence this world? First, as salt. Um, And here's the first thing that should grab you, because it does mean. Jesus here is making a statement of fact as opposed to a command to do something. Notice that first. Look at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. He does not say, you need to go out and be salt. I command you, go be salt. He says, you are. You are the salt of the earth. Now, what, what's the big deal about that? Uh, <laughs> we are the salt of the earth because this is what God has made us to be. We're new creatures in Christ. We, we, are, we are new creatures in Christ. We're, we're new, see. We're born again, see. And so you, you are not, 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 yes, definitely go be this. But the big thing here to see is you are, you are 
the salt. Because, because of what has happened to you, because of, because of the difference that Christ has made, because of the new birth, because you are filled with the Spirit of Christ, because you are the people of God, because you are, you are the salt of the earth. Now, the interesting thing is, as is, is valuable as all that sounds, salt was a very cheap commodity in biblical times. Uh, I found this interesting. A ration of salt uh, came to Roman soldiers as part of their pay. They would get some uh, monetary pay, but they would also get some salt. And that ration of salt, the, the, the Latin word for that ration of salt was called salarium, where we get our word salary. You know, that's kind of interesting, I thought. However, salt, even though it was a cheap commodity, it had unusual properties that far exceeded its value. In other words, it was cheap commodity, but it had certain properties that other things did not have. There was a uniqueness to it, in other words. Even though it was a cheap commodity, it was very unique, and so its uniqueness exceeded its value. While, while salt, we usually think of salt as seasoning, and, and it was in biblical times, it was used as seasoning. However, it was far more valuable then as a preservative. It was in a day with no freezers, no refrigerators, and that sort of thing. Uh, the only way to preserve meat was to salt it down, as they would say. And so what does this tell us? I mean, just, just this little bit here. I mean, there's, a, you know, there's, there's pages and pages and pages of uh, minutia about salt and that sort of thing, but basically it was a, a cheap commodity, but there was something special and unique about it, and it was used primarily for preservation of meat. So why does Jesus use this metaphor? Well, just like meat tends toward decay, the world tends toward decay. Now, in other words, that's the point that Jesus is trying to make here. You, you are salt. Well, immediately in their minds, they could understand, well, salt, was salt, we primarily use that for preservation to keep meat from rotting, uh, to, to keep, uh, keep it preserved as long as possible. And so the world, since you're the salt of the earth, <laughs> Jesus is saying the earth tends toward decomposition is, and is actually rotting away. The world, in other words, the world left to itself tends toward decay. And the church, however, functions as salt, as a retardant to decay. Uh, to help, help stem the breakdown, you might say. Okay? It's decaying, it's in the process of decaying. But for the believer, for the church in the world, we serve as some sort of retardant. And I think the best, the, the best example I heard of this in a, in a practical way for us is let, let's say, you, you don't have to imagine this, you, you know, let's say that someone in your circle of influence, someone's life is breaking down, falling apart. Uh, could be a number of different reasons why. Uh, you, you, you're aware that they're having a breakdown Everything seems to be tending toward decomposition. Things are just falling apart in their life. And what, what do Christians do? What can Christians do? 
they move in. They move in. They move in at just as salt. So you you move, move in, move in to slow down the progress or to retard the progress of things falling apart. You see, that, that's what Jesus is speaking about. See, we don't move in, we don't move in in a self-righteous or condemning way, but in a Christ-like way. See, because, why? Because we're, we're followers of Christ. We're walking in step with Christ, you see. And so, someone's life's falling apart, and, and, and what, what's a Christian do? And, and many of you have done before, and, and, and will continue to do. You move in, you see. You move, move in just like salt, See, to, to, to slow down, perhaps even retard and, 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 and instill the falling apart in the person's life. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me read this to you. I, I found this interesting. Um, the job of salt was to make something taste good. I don't know about you, but I can't stand corn on the cob without salt on it. This is someone speaking about salt. So when I've eaten a piece of corn on the cob that I really like, I put it down... And what do I say? That was great salt. He said, no, I don't say that. He said, I say that was great corn on the cob. Why? Because the job of salt is not to make you think how great the salt is, but how great the thing is with which it's involved. Then he goes on to say, what if you are salt in your small group Bible study? If you're salt, people won't go away saying, boy, that person really knows the Bible. They have all the answers. Showed me up. No. What happens is when you go away from a small group in which you have been the salt, people don't say how great you were. They say, what a great group. This is pretty simple. Salt makes you feel better about life. Christians make you feel better, but religious people always make you feel condemned. They make you feel worse. So that's why we say we, when we move in, we don't move in in a self-righteous, condemning way. You know, they're, all, they're already falling apart. You see. We don't need to come in and, and disassemble the rest of them. We move in to bring about good. You're going to be for that person. In other words, you're going to be for that person what Christ has been for you. That's the best way to think about it. When you move in, you want to be for them what Christ has been for you. So that, that, that is, first... The, you are the salt of the earth. And uh, you know, all through this study so far, I, I don't know about you, but all through the study so far, there's been a number of different things that I've really, you know, it's really been you know, convicting. But I, this may be, this probably may be the, so far as we, we're not that far along yet, this may be the, the biggie. You know, to ask yourself, am I really being salt? Am, am, I, am I really, am I living my Christian life in a, in a salty way? Um, it's one thing to, you know, to say, well, you know, I, I come to church regularly, I worship regularly with God's people, and, you know, I, 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 I serve in some ways, and I even, you know, give a portion of my income. I'm, I'm doing those kind of things, but are we being salt? Are, are we being salt to the world, you see? This, this takes us out of the building, you see. We have to get out of the building uh, to, to really be able to move into people's lives in such a way. But then Jesus says, but if salt has lost its taste. Now, most of you probably know this. Strictly speaking, salt can never lose its saltiness. And so did Jesus make a mistake here when he said that? Uh, because it sounds like Jesus is saying, well, you know, you're salt, but then you can become not salt. Uh, 
No, I was reading about this the other day. Sodium chloride is a very stable compound which is resistant to nearly every attack. And so, in other words, salt, in a very real strict sense, salt can never lose its saltiness. However, and this is what Jesus is speaking of, however, salt can become contaminated by mixture with impurities and then it becomes useless. Okay? That is the point that Jesus is making. So let me ask you, um, can you think of any ways, can you think of any ways that Christian saltiness uh, can become useless in that way? Is it, it becomes, again, contaminated by mixture of, of, of impurities. So does that bring anything to mind for you? Do, any ways that you can think of, like, hey, I can see how this could cause me to be useless or someone else? Anybody? Ready? Okay. Okay. Think of any other ways. Ah, okay. Okay, for those who may not have been able to hear, we, we can become diluted in such a way that we become, we become so much like the world that we, they, they look at us and go, look, there's no real difference in you than me. <laughs> so that, that, would, that would leave us useless. That would render us useless. Any other, any other ideas? Because Jesus is saying, you, know, this, you are the salt of the earth, but if, the salt, if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? Uh, Christian saltiness is Christian character as depicted in the Beatitudes. Okay? If, you, if you're wondering, like, what saltiness, what, you know, what, 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 would that, what would that really, how would I do that? Uh, we, we live according to the Beatitudes. You know, we, we, we show mercy. We, you know, we, we, we mourn over our sin. You know, you go through the whole list. And for us to remain effective, we must not be contaminated by the impurities of the world. We're to be salt, we're to be salt in the world, but we, not, we must not be contaminated by the impurities of the world. So the purpose of salt is to fight deterioration. Therefore, the salt must not itself be you know, deteriorate. You know? So, so we got, we've got to remember that. Because we are the salt of the earth, however, we can become useless by becoming contaminated. Uh, any, anything before we move on to light? Any, anything anything you know, comes to mind as, as, as you think about this? Has anything come to mind about salt for, for you, for the church, anybody, before we look at light? You are the salt of the earth. Now, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Once again... He doesn't say, go be light. You know, he does, it's not a command here. Certainly justified in saying that, but it, it, here it's not being said that way. It's being it's a statement of fact. You are the light of the world. The church is set in the world. Think about this. God has set us in this world to perform a double role. One, as salt to hinder the process of social decay. You know, think about, you know, we, we often think about, you know, a Christian getting into politics and we all immediately begin to say, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, you know. And, uh, and, and we can, you know, we can debate all those fine points some other time. But um, as, as, as the church is set in the world, we are salt to hinder the process of social decay. And that may mean, that may mean getting involved in some level of government and some 
way of running for office. It, it may include that, you know. Uh, but but the, po- the point is, God has set us in this world. He set the church in this dark, decaying world to play a double role. One, salt to hinder the process of social decay, and light to dispel the darkness. And so let's take a look at this for a moment. Now, most of you know that you know, when you think of being light, we immediately think Jesus said that he was the light of the world. And so that ought to bring about a question, in what way are Christians the light of the world? If Jesus is the light of the world, I mean, he is the light of the world, in what way can it be said that we are the light of the world? Because Jesus turns right around and says, you are the light of the world. First, Jesus himself is the light of the world. Now, you'll see a few verses here in succession in John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, already there's a little hint here as to how, how Christians can be said to be light of the world. Because when we, when we follow, when we come to Christ, we follow the light of the world. What's it say? We'll not walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. And so Jesus Christ being the light of the world in some way profoundly affects us that we are now uh, expressing our life in a different way. Okay? We're, we're, we have the light of life. We also find in Matthew 4 and 16 that Jesus has come down to people in darkness. So the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And so you know, all this imagery here is used to say, you know, Jesus coming as light was, was coming down to people in darkness to, 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 to rescue, to dispel the darkness and bring light. On them a light has dawned. Then we find next that those who come to faith in Jesus are delivered from the kingdom of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of light. In Colossians chapter 1, let's see these verses. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Now, Jesus is the light of the world. Uh, the picture here, the imagery here is we, we've been transferred out of this kingdom, the darkness, this kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light. And so, now you follow that progression. You know, Jesus is the light of the world, and we, we follow him. If we follow him, we come to him. We follow him. We're no longer in darkness, but we have the light of life. And Jesus came down to deal with darkness. And then we find that those who come to faith in Jesus are delivered out of darkness, and they're now in the kingdom of light. And as a result, we have become what the scriptures call light in the Lord. We, in other words, we, we now live as children of the light. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, For at one time you were in darkness. There's that imagery again. But now you are the light in the Lord. Or now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So we begin with the question, in what way are Christians the light of the world? By virtue, by virtue of being in Christ. 
by virtue of being in Christ, walking with Christ, we now, we, we, are, we are walk as children of the light. So in this way, we are a light of the world. Now first, what is, what is this light? What, what, what exactly are people to see? He said, we're, we're the light of the world. Okay? And you don't, notice it says you don't, um, you, you don't, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, I found this kind of interesting. During biblical times, it was rare to find a city on a hill because it cost an enormous amount of money to develop a city on a hill, at least in biblical times. But if one was so fortunate to live in a city on a hill, it lit up everything, you see. Then, notice, and that's what Jesus says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. <laughs> Absolutely not, you see. But then in verse 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. So we're the light of the world. We should not live in such a way that we have a basket over us. In other words, we should live in such a way that we give light to all. So, verse 16. Now, here's where Jesus is in the same way. In other words, he's using, he's using you know, this, this imagery here, okay, to get a point across. So he's in the same way, let your light shine before others. Now, we stop there and we have to go, wait a minute. You know, I love these analogies, Jesus. I love this imagery. I love all this kind of stuff. But could you get down to the point of what, what does it look like? What does it look like to be a light bearer? You know, let, to let people see the light. What, is, what does that mean? What is that? And notice, how can we put that into practice? And he tells us in the very next phrase. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. So let's stop there. What's the answer to this? How, how will people see our light? How will they do that? By what? Well, I mean, yeah, but according to this verse, how will, how will people see we're the light of the world? How will people see the light according to verse 16? By our good works, okay? By our good works. The light that Jesus is talking about, it will shine, it will shine through our good works. Now, the, the word that Jesus uses here, good works, is, is the Greek word kalos. And it, it's, not, it's not good works as in good in quality. It is, it is the idea of attractiveness and beauty. It's, it's, in other words, it, it's, 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 not like, it's, it's, not take, it's not like we shouldn't take this and go, Man, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do a whopper of a good work. Man, the quality of it is going to be so perfect and so great. That, no, that's not, that's not the good works that Jesus is speaking of. He is speaking of the kind of works that are attractive and beautiful. Okay? So it may, be, it may be a little tiny tiny good work. It may not be the super whopper of a quality of good work. It may be just these tiny, tiny little things. Without good works. Now, here's the important see, see we as, as Protestants, as Protestants we know this by heart, I think we do. Uh, we are not saved by our good works. 
Uh, we, we stress that as Protestants, as good Protestants. We stress we're not saved by good works. But without good works, our gospel loses its credibility and God loses honor. So while on one hand we certainly testify the fact that we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, it does go on to say that we were created unto good works. And so without good works, without real good works, genuine good works, uh, then the gospel that we say we believe loses its credibility. Uh, I found this some years ago, and it's still relevant today. Um, I, I know that not all of you are retirees. I know that. So, but some of you are. <laughs> and I, and, I, and I, I, when I when I first read this, I thought, I hope that if I reach retirement age, I hope that I'm still I still have a desire and the willingness to work in some way for the kingdom of God, like this man here. Retired pastor Sam Dury, at this time, at this, the writing of this article, he was at the age 77, okay, said he could be enjoying his golden years in an easy chair. However, instead of just letting the days fly by, Dury is building birdhouses to support a Moscow seminary. He goes on to say, Dury spends four hours a day, okay, he, ta- he doesn't take all day, he takes four hours a day planting, sawing, sanding, drilling, gluing, and nailing cedar fence pickets in a workshop in his garage. He then hits the road with 35 different kind of birdhouses, selling them at festivals and craft shows. Over the past six years, Dury estimates he has built about 3,000 birdhouses, raising $85,000 for Russia United Theological Seminary. Dury saw the need, he saw the need for the Moscow Seminary during 14 mission trips to Russia and Siberia. And then here's what he says. We have to realize we're part of a global community and we have a global ministry, Dury says. I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. The good Lord has plans for us and I'm doing what I can to carry them out. Good works. Good, good works. I just want to read this to give some context for, because when we think about good works, you know, we might even think about this. You know, he 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 has God's giving him his skill, um, and so he takes a few hours a day to put things together. He saw a need, you know, and making an incredible difference at this time at the age of seventy-seven. Uh, good works. Let the world see your good works. Light, light is a common symbol in the Bible for truth. Okay, and while, while we've got enough time, I want to make sure we get this in because um, we might think, okay, as, as salt and light, we might think salt. You know, we, we move in. Okay, we move in, and perhaps if you're a person who's more you, you may, on the scales, you may tip more to mercy, you know. And, and so you move in and you are showing compassion and mercy. But then, you know, another person, the, the scale may tip more truth. Like, I move in. I've got to tell them, you know, I've got to straighten them out, you know. 
Okay. And, and, and so sometimes those two conflict, you know, like it's like more mercy and less truth, sometimes more truth, less mercy. But in salt and light is, is the balance, okay? Salt, salt can be that mercy and compassion moving in, but light, uh, light is, is it, throughout the Bible, is a symbol for truth. And I thought, thought this was helpful maybe to, to maybe bring the balance into focus. Uh, sodium is an extremely active element found naturally only in combined form. It always links itself to another element. Chlorine, on the other hand, is the poisonous gas that gives bleach its offensive odor. When sodium and chlorine are combined, the result is sodium chloride, common table salt, the substance we use to preserve meat and to bring out its flavor. Here's what the author says. Love and truth can be like sodium and chlorine. Love without truth is flighty, sometimes blind, willing to combine with various doctrines. On the other hand, truth by itself can be offensive, sometimes even poisonous. Spoken without love, it can turn people away from the gospel. When truth and love are combined in an individual or a church, however, then we have what Jesus called the salt of the earth, and we're able to preserve and bring out the beauty of our faith. Well, that's kind of neat. you got this blend, again, salt and light. Uh, sodium by itself now it has to have another property. Chlorine by itself eh, can be harsh, put them both together, boom, you got it. So when, when Jesus calls us to salt and light, he's calling us to this unique blend, this sweet balance, this sweet spot of, uh, of, of compassion and, and truth. Um, just as salt cannot lose its saltiness, light, uh, or I should say just as salt can lose its saltiness, which is what Jesus said, light can be hidden. We must not conceal the truth we know nor the truth that we are. We must be willing to let our Christianity be visible to all. And so if anything, if anything in these verses that you could take away tonight to challenge us is we are not called to live our Christian life in a private way. It is to be lived in an attractive way. We must be willing to let our Christianity be visible. Uh, not in a self-righteous way. We are to be uh, uh, more like Jesus uses here, a city on a hill, okay? Uh, which means uh, kind of a city in a city, okay? That's kind of what we are. The church is kind of a city within a city. We are uh, countercultural, okay? Uh, we are city within a city, a, pe- a people recognized only, not only by what we say, but how we live our lives. And so we are very countercultural. Now, how do the people, how do people in, in this city, you know, I think it was Augustine who pointed out the city of God, city of man. The city of God is the church, the kingdom of God, and the city of man. And, and so how do the people in the city of God, in this counterculture, live in the world, what does it look like? That is what the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is about. Okay? In other words, we've gotten up to this point where Jesus said, You're the salt, the light, and so you know, you're unique. <laughs> you're a city within a city, you're countercultural. Um, and so 
how do people of this city of God live? The rest of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus describing the way we live, see? And so I think this is laid out, I think, in such a masterful way, such a logical way. Uh, and so when we pick up, whenever it is, uh, not next Wednesday, not the next Wednesday, would that be three weeks from now? <laughs> is that right? Is that right? Three weeks from now? We'll, we'll pick up. And uh, I tell you what, where we'll pick up is, is going to automatically be a challenge. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law. And it gets into how, how do people who live in the new covenant as believers, what's our relationship to the law? You know, that's going to be interesting. It always, always is. And so when we come back, we'll be looking at that. Anything you've got before we go? We're almost, almost out of time, but anybody before we leave, anything? Yeah. You know, as, as you're saying that, it, you probably, some of you probably already thought of this verse where um, we're told to, you know, let our speech be seasoned with salt. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's always neat. Isn't it, isn't it like, let's say you, you, you go somewhere, you're in a group of people, and uh, later, later someone tells you, said, uh, uh, oh, they were, they were so happy you stopped by. They were, they were so happy you stopped by. They just enjoyed talking. Wouldn't you rather hear that than to hear, that you were like a, a, a noxious gas, <laughs> you know, like, oh, I'm so glad they're gone, you know. They just won't shut up, you know. You know. Isn't, it, isn't it so much, isn't it so much, don't you, you know the difference, right? You know you, when you, you think, wow, and, and so may, may, our, may our speech, may our speech be seasoned with salt as we are salt and light in the world. May God be with you. Let's pray. Well, Father, we uh, once again, Come to an end of an evening and uh, have been uh, have been spoken to you. You've spoken to us tonight. You have. We can legitimately say God has spoken to me today. And uh, once again, you've you've challenged us. Uh, you pulled us out of our little private world, which is, which is so easy for us to crawl back in. And you pull us out to be salt and light. And you, you are not skeptical at all about the mission of the church. Uh, you, you know that with, with you, all things are possible. And so may we walk with you. May we be faithful to you. May we walk in step with the Holy Spirit who will empower us in our witness. And may we go this week, be salt and light. Uh, may we move in and... Uh, May we not put a, a bucket over ourselves, but may we come in and with that sweet spot of, of compassion and, and truth uh, and uh, with a, a variety of good works that are beautiful and attractive that you, that you may get the glory, not, not, not the salt, but that you may be glorified in heaven. We ask this in the name of our Savior. Amen. Good night, everybody.